Rules to Reality is a podcast that highlights how regulation shapes or fails to shape our daily lives. I'm speaking to you from Wurundjeri country and would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening today. I would also like to acknowledge the ongoing role that colonisation and racist regulation has had on First Nations, but also First Nations resilience and survival in continuing to connect and practice the oldest living culture in the world. Today I speak with Professor Fiona Haynes from the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Melbourne, and she's also Honorary Professor at Regnet at the Australian National University. Honestly, what hasn't Fiona written on? Uh, Her interests include uh, regulation of corporate crime, industrial disasters, grievances with multinational corporations, human rights issues, and much more. Her book in 2011, The Paradox of Regulation, was formative for me entering into the regulation space. But also, her more recent work on what she terms fields of struggle are truly fascinating for regulation experts. This was the most enjoyable conversation I've had so far. Before we hit record, Fiona was very clear with me that she wanted it to be conversational, where we would build on one another's thoughts. Therefore, there's a lot more of me and my thoughts in this episode, but it's given the intellectual architecture by Professor Haynes, who was very generous with her wisdom, but also humility. We began by talking about how criminology, say 20 or 30 years ago, didn't answer the kinds of questions that Fiona was asking about bailing systems, and that's why she got into regulation. Here we pick up, uh, as she's talking about her work uh, more recently, within the last 10 years, on the paradox of regulation. So please enjoy this episode, subscribe, and rate the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Um, uh, in your in your 2011 book, you highlight um, the, the paradoxes kind of inherent in regulation, and I think you've touched on it a little bit here, but um, you know, I'm keen to know what you mean what you mean by some, what those paradoxes are within regulation. Um, and then, you know, um, do you think 10 years later that the, the same kind of paradox exists or um, have you seen it manifested, um, you know, 10 years later in a, in a different setting? Yeah, over and over and over again is probably the answer to that one. Um, so the question behind the book, what drove the book, is how does never again become, oh, no, not again? So you have a crisis point. In in the book, you have an industrial disaster. You have a major financial collapse. Uh, You have a terrorist attack at at using airports and so on, right? And you have the pronouncements. And the pronouncements are, okay, never again. We have to learn from this. We have to put in place the regulatory regime that will mean that we learn the lesson from this, right? And so the paradox is figuring out how those two statements coexist all the time. And I investigated it or interrogated it through the process of regulatory reform 
and also in terms of what the nature of compliance is. In terms of both, what I, what I came to understand is that the never again moment is uh, a political statement uh, that has a political dimension to it that is very, very important. So in other words, the reform process is driven by the management of political risk. It's driven by um, the need to maintain political legitimacy. And, and political legitimacy is managed by reassuring people of their safety and security. That's the never again bit, right? But it's also keeping the economy going. So it's that classic tension between keeping the economy going and making people feel safe. And that central equation um, means that the damage that created the crisis doesn't have to be addressed. It's a different form of risk. So political risk is keeping the economy going, making people feel safe. The making people feel safe is about sociocultural, what I call sociocultural risk, dealing, resonating with people's concerns, reading, reading the, um, uh, the room, reading the public mood, because sociocultural risk is about identity and belonging, right? It's about reassuring people that you care and reassuring people that what is important to them is important to you, right? So you're dealing with that sociocultural dimension and you're making sure the economy keeps going in, in, in that sense of, 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 of keeping the money flowing. Actuarial risk is, um, is, is its own beast and it, it, it is very context specific. So in terms of an industrial disaster, it's a, it's a beast about engineering controls. It's a beast about major hazards dimensions. It's sort of focused on making sure that there's not a cascade of, of catastrophe that's going to develop in this industrial plant, right? And, and the challenge for effective regulatory reform is taking that actuarial risk and putting it in the embrace of political risk. Political risk is non-negotiable. Sociocultural risk is non-negotiable, right? Unless you can fit the three together, you're not going to get effective reform. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. And so, I mean, is it a case in point of the, the challenges? And I'm keen to know whether you think these things um, overlap completely or there's maybe it's a Venn diagram where they partially do um royal commissions it's the era of royal commissions and yeah. you know they're often the result of some kind of cat catastrophic failure um yeah. either in the banking mental health yeah. disability aged care sectors um 
are those do, do you see that i mean i'm keen i get keen to get your reflections about whether those things are about managing actuarial risk um socio-cultural risk um and whether they're effective in in doing so in in, in your account so I think, I mean, there's some wonderful work on the politics of royal commissions by George Gilligan and others. And, and I think commissions vary. Royal commissions vary in terms of their political context. And they also differ markedly in, context, in, in content. So a, a royal commission on aged care is not the same as a royal commission on disability. It's not the same as a royal commission into the bushfires. It's not the same as a royal commission into, you know, the pink bats, right? That, that, so, so content matters. So, so in my language, the actuarial concern, that actually matters to what goes on in the royal commission. However, um, the Royal Commission itself can be a political statement. Mm. So, so, you know, as you would be very well aware, there's, there's, there's politics shot through, for example, the terms of reference, mm. Mm. who the commissioners are, mm. who the chief commissioner is, right? Mm. From, the, from go to woe, this is a political enterprise. Mm. And, 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 and the, the, the determination of those features can be very, very important in what comes out of the commission. Mm. Um, but after the commission makes a series of recommendations, and that's where the political risk equation comes in, in terms of the reform process. So each of the recommendations is filtered mm -hmm. through how it can be dealt with at the same time as managing political risk. So it's filtered through those, that political risk equation, right? What happens to it? Whether it's picked up, whether it's not picked up. You know, we, we, we've been here before. We know that recommendations are accepted, rejected, somewhere in the middle, even if they're accepted, they may not be funded properly, even if they're, you know, implemented, they may never be enacted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yeah. And, and, and at all those levels, keeping people see, making people feel safe, keeping the economy going, right? That, that's, that's kind of like the heartbeat of, of, or the logic behind that filtering process, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I've definitely seen that in, in the mental health context where um, all of those things that you talk about, the, the setting of the terms of reference, um, yeah. not having a, you know, a very clear focus on, on human rights in the way that um, perhaps the disability and the aged care ones uh, did or, or around abuse, abuse within the system. Um, yeah. The appointment of commissioners um, that, uh, you know, there was a, a, a carer, a legal, psychiatric and public administration um, for, for experts there, but there wasn't any space on that panel for, um, 
lived experience. Lived experience, yeah, someone with lived experience going through the system. Um, nor was there anyone after that that point, nor was there anyone in the leadership position in a staffing role in a, um, below that um, with a, um, a disclosed um, lived experience either. Um, and so I've definitely seen that, that politics play out and we're now post 60, 68 recommendations or 65 recommendations and um, the way in which there's a real contestation um, going on about what is what is the appropriate implementation of, of some of those recommendations and yeah. it's by no means a um, kind of a rational or decontextualized kind of policy process that we often read in the books yeah yeah no 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 I and uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong but but um, the emphasis on 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 mental health, not just illness. Mm. What are the conditions that allow all of us mm. to thrive, and in particular those with uh, a, a psychiatric condition to thrive? What what underpins thriving? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and. Um... Again, I mean, there's, there's, there's even to deconstruct it further. There's the, the, the terms of, of reference and, and who, who influences those, but then there's how you, how the commission interprets those terms of reference yeah. as well to, to determine yeah. their mandate. And um, realistically, if you read the final report, the social determinants of mental health and well-being aren't. Um, they're not really part of the recommendations. Um, I know a lot of um, First Nations uh, communities were talking about the need for bail reform um, or criminal justice reform and that, you know, the hyper-incarceration of Aboriginal people obviously yeah. has mental health impacts, um, yeah. th that, um, you know, family violence has obvious impacts, that housing has obvious impacts. And yeah. the latter was maybe in some very small respect uh, addressed but um but generally speaking um yeah we uh, uh we didn't see those matters addressed and and you could argue that um those are the kind of foundational conditions like you say of, of um well-being thriving yeah. or, or illness um, um to a large degree so yes i can see I, I i can see and i think the way in which you frame those paradoxes or the um uh, the the different versions of risk are yeah. hugely important. Um, and so, uh, one of the you know, I know some of your recent work builds on um, builds on on that work, talking about um, both uh, a, a social license to operate, but also fields of struggle. And um, I'm not sure how if you feel yeah. like these are uh, com compatible to talk alongside one another or separately, but. Um, you know, yeah. I'm keen to get your reflections on what those those things mean and, and some examples of, of of what that looks like. Yeah, look, just 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 before I do, can I just make one more comment on the on the actuarial? Because that yeah. this, this is where so the pandemic. Okay. So if you if you don't deal with uh, the virus, it has a, a way of making its presence felt very visibly. And 
that's quite different from mental health where the nature of the 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 issue is is it, it emerges in complex ways from a range of different factors mm. including the social determinants of health right that mean that um when you are designing or trying to come up with a royal commission and you're a politician you're thinking well how can how can i control this beast how can i place a a a, a boundary around what and i will now use the field of struggle term around the field of struggle right so what you're doing is you're you're patrolling the boundaries and in patrolling the boundaries you are determining which actors are going to hold influence in that field and which actors are are, are, are going to need to struggle hard to have their voices heard right so in terms of uh the royal commission and the reform process what i've done in some of my more recent work but in very in a very different context is say okay what is this particular field of struggle what does it look like at this particular point in time what are the rules of the game around how the dynamics of this field right who gets to determine what actions are legitimate and what actions are not legitimate what is uh, appropriate to say or to do and what is not appropriate to say and to do what does law actually mean what do regulations actually mean who gets to interpret their meaning who has authority to interpret their meaning right so so you have this um this field and you can you can you can map it it's very empirical it's not it's not theoretical right it's it's it it's a very helpful way of saying okay so exactly what is the dynamic at this particular point in time who is considered an an actor within this field of struggle who can speak whose voice can speak whose voice has more sway right and if you can frame that around expertise then you have a degree of control over over what what is considered appropriate and what is not considered appropriate um now that's a very recognizable dynamic right you, you and you, and you can kind of you know you look at it and you say, oh, okay it's another one of these right you could almost have a little kind of sorting box oh it's another one of these let's put that that commission or that process in that 
field of struggle box, right? If you are uh, what's called the challenger in that process, if you if you're not somebody with uh, a degree of power and control and influence in that space, if you're if you're vulnerable and 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 marginalized in that space, even and especially if it's fundamentally about you, you look at these rules and you say, oh, hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> they're, not really, they're not really doing what I want them to do. You know, they're not really, um, they're not making much difference to my lived experience of this space, right? So what happens then is that you start thinking about, okay, can I use these rules strategically, right? Is there a way that I can take uh, um, a legal case of some sort? Can I challenge the interpretation of the rules, right? And can I insert and can we insert a new meaning? Now, of course, that will be adjudicated in, in different ways through administrative tribunals or through, through law courts and so on, right? So you can, you can, you can take up your, your cudgels and you can try and rework the rules. Um, another uh, way of, of, of trying to re reform what's going on is you try and bring an actor into the field that is currently outside of the boundaries. You, you, you recast jurisdiction. So you might go, if it's a, 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 a state matter, you might go federally. If there's, it's a, a national situation, you might try to draw in international actors. And you might have some success, say at the European level, going to the, the, the Human Rights Commission at the European level, right? If you are um, uh, in, in the work that I've been doing, if you are somebody who's, who's uh, aggrieved because of the, the practices of multinational corporations, whether it's mining or, or, or textile clothing and footwear, whatever it is, you might be able to appeal to a non-judicial mechanism, right, uh, to a national contact point or to a, the compliance advisor ombudsman part of a, the World Bank group, right? So you might be able to take your claim. It's not uh, black letter law. It's not it's, it's, it's findings are not binding. There's not an enforcement mechanism, but, it's a, but what it does is it breaks through the boundaries of the field and it's an attempt to broaden those to say, this isn't working. So you try and bring in different, different actors and, 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 and sometimes that can be successful to a degree. Often it's not. If you are the marginalized in the field, all of these are difficult, yeah. difficult time-consuming processes. Yes, and um, I just know within the context of, of mental health, and so, I mean, for, for those who um, have 
read or listened to me bang on about this, it's usually that there's, you know, dramatic human rights breaches um, within mental health settings and, uh, and, you know, the mental health laws we have are really problematic, but even then, there's no there's no compliance with those um i could i can say hand on heart i've never seen um, a decision made a compulsory treatment decision made that adheres to mental health law so i've seen thousands of and thousands of um breaches of mental health laws and um it's just it's interesting to hear you say talking about the rules of the game as well in that um you know, uh, and thinking about that within a, a regulatory context of, of the regulators out there, there's, you know, since since we had this new Mental Health Act, we had the establishment of of, um, of a new Mental Health Compliance Commissioner, and we had um, a reinforcing of powers for the chief psychiatrist, and there were 12,000 complaints and inquiries um, uh, to, to the Mental Health Compliance Commissioner um, since its establishment six years ago. Um, in that time, the Royal Commission said that there was um, widespread breaches of human rights and um, breaches of mental health law. They've gone so far as to say that mental health clinicians aren't even aware, they don't even know what their obligations are, let alone comply with them. Um, and those are minimum standards around, you know, making sure someone's involved in their treatment um, rather than, you know, forcibly injecting them. Um, uh, in that time, uh, the the Mental Health Compliance Commissioner never has has never issued one compliance notice. Um, um, so twelve thousand complaints and inquiries. Um, I, I, you know, I've been involved directly or indirectly with the Compliance Commissioner for four years. Twelve thousand complaints and inquiries. Um, that's twelve thousand people in just calling before, right before they're about to be secluded, you know, and thrown in a, or restrained or forcibly injected. Um, twelve thousand of those. Um, and and never and and we know that there's just systemic non-compliance but services have never been made to follow the law and i think that sets the rules of the game uh, if i've understood you correctly yeah yeah so so the you know they're obviously that we've 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 spoken mostly about reform the other the other end is once you've got the law what's what what does compliance look like and the other paradox is the paradox of compliance you know which is which is about the way that the same three dimensions, political, sociocultural, actuarial, that, that they're at play in that compliance equation. So that, um, it, you know, I'm much more familiar with, with, with business compliance. So, so in, in the business setting, it's about, okay, how are we going to keep profitable and, 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 and deal with the reassurance. Yes, we care about you, our employees, and, and so on, right? Now, you know, I, it's easy to be cynical, but, but this, is, this, is, this is what they're about, right? How do we, you know, keep our business afloat and, and try and do the right thing, right? And doing the right thing can be about keeping the peace as much as it is about dealing with the the actuarial risk. So there was a classic uh, example in, in one of the interviews I did where um, there was a requirement for employees, workers, everybody to understand how to use the fire suppression equipment in this major oil refinery, right? And um, the health and safety officer or, or rep responsible 
um, they were in a workshop, right? And, and he was getting more and more hot under the collar because he knew that people didn't really understand how to put out the fire. They just didn't, they didn't know how to use the equipment, right? So what he did was he set up a simulation and in the simulation, he, he just pull, pulled one of the workers up at random and he said, okay, this is happening now. And he went through a crisis scenario, not an uncommon crisis scenario. And what became clear is this guy did not have the first clue how to put the fire out. Now, you would think that would be a wake-up call to this organisation to get its house in order, right? No. 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 Everybody was angry at him for basically shaming, picking somebody out, shaming them. What they were concerned about was, was the socio-cultural. I... Who am I? I belong. Reassure me, I belong here. And what are our values? And our values are one of solidarity and reciprocity. You don't do this. So what they learned was, or what, what they responded to was the sociocultural. So when you're in a, it, it, it doesn't matter what setting you are, it's, it's that sociocultural dance. What is my position here? Where do I, where do I sit? What are the norms of this place? And, and, and you poke that at your peril, right? Because you're trying to re, you're trying to reimagine identity and who we are as a collective. Mm. So that compliance equation is, 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 is framed in that way. Yeah. And, and, this would happen for, um, you know, I, I, I can imagine most issues that we care about, you know, if it's, you know, women t talking about sexual harassment in the workplace, um, you know, people, um, people of colour experiencing racism or discrimination. There's, there's a, if, if I've understood that dynamic, there's, um, there's a need to be perfect in that scenario too as the person raised. Like um, any, any minor fault that that, disruptor or um, agent who's trying to to, to challenge or um, maybe uh, to challenge some of those norms or rules of the game um firstly even if they do act perfectly fault will be given in, in in how they've done it but secondly if they don't do so perfectly um that the system or the culture yeah. can kind of project its spheres onto that individual is, is my yeah. my reflection uh, yeah yeah so 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 Compliance becomes how can we make this problem go away? Um, and, and, and how can we make this problem go away may, may involve um, reducing the risk and making, making sure everybody understands how to use the fire suppression equipment, right? It, it, mm. it, it, it's not, you know, but, but, but in a sense, again, that that problem is in the embrace of the keeping the economy going or keep it the profits going and reassurance, right? So, so, so it, it has to be brought within that embrace. And, and doing that within 
a a a field where the rules of the game mean that you, you it's really difficult to get this yeah so so you 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 actually then are saying okay well maybe it's better if i don't play by this these rules mm. so so this isn't working for me mm. this isn't working for us mm. so you know that's when going outside or 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 you know <laughs> radical non-compliance virtuous non-compliance as i sometimes like mm. to put it that's right? like i like that yeah i'll use that you next know? time i get in trouble yeah 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 you know what does that what can that do and that's where the social license bit comes in because instead of um in, in my case, I was looking at protests against coal seam gas. And instead of saying, look, you know, let's challenge this legally, some were saying, let's try a different tack. Let's say you don't have a social license. Mm. You might have the legal license, but you don't have the social license. Frack off. We don't want you here. Right? And so what the social license, but it's contested, the definite, you know, it's, 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 it's quite complicated. But what happens is, is that some people say, okay, the, law's not, the law is not helping us. As one of my, my uh, interviewees said, if the laws were good, we wouldn't need a social license. Mm -hmm. And what they're saying in that is they're saying, we need a different language. Mm -hmm. And... So we're going to talk about social license mm. and we're going to get the community together and see how many people really want this enterprise in our midst, mm. right? And if, you, if you don't want it, then, then don't care what your law says. Mm. Okay, now, now that can be, can be very powerful because the social license is reaching at that socio-cultural risk. And it, it's pushing back, saying reassurance not working for us. Mm. Yeah, and and so often you see, and I think um, you know the you obviously know much more about this, but um, yeah, those extract extraction industries, which I mean you could argue might yeah. be mental health, but um, uh, but more environmental extractive industries that um, yeah. that. Uh, the law functions to as a permission regime to for for, for yeah. to legalize harm, in the, arguably. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let, let, let's be really, really clear that the the law, in terms of businesses, the law is about how much damage will be permitted. It's not about eliminating. The damage and the reason is because the 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 harm is embedded in the benefit so the damage is embedded and this is this is why regulation is so hard mm. if it was all about harm and damage and reducing the actuarial risk or whatever you want to call it it would be easy we would have solved this Years mm. ago, you know, for goodness sake, why are we talk, still talking about this? Mm. The reason is because there are benefits that come from exactly the same activity. 
Mm. And those benefits are broadly but in the equally shared. Mm -hmm. So you have harm right in the middle of it. What regulation tries to do is be a bit like a surgeon's knife. There's actually very blunt. <laughs> you try not to kill the patient, but, you know, and maybe you've had a little bit too much to drink. Yeah. And you try to go in there and you're trying to extract the damage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this this is really this activity, this is really this is really precious. So the government comes and says, oh, take the knife away. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And 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 so what you what's important is is understanding who benefits mm. and being very honest and saying it's not just the big bad, the big baddies who benefit. Mm. Mm the benefits if if it's a problem that's endemic the benefits are, are broadly shared and they're broadly shared not not only in 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 fundamental terms of okay I'm, there's money coming in the door because i'm employed or my community isn't tearing each other apart mm. you know it can be about the promise of a better future mm. be a proud of promise so mm -hmm. benefits are not just material. They 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 draw us in to say this 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 is really important to us. And they can be identity related as Absolutely. identity related benefits too, in terms of yeah, 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 um, yeah. reinforcing your your place within a community. I think about when you talk about that um, in terms of the. Um, the intrinsic kind of relationship between the, the proposed benefit and the. Um, and the, and the harm in the context of mental health and certainly in the context of compulsory mental health treatment yeah. um, our socio-cultural risks are um, very responsive to the very and, and guided and created by the very rare events that somebody commits um, violence um, whilst they're experiencing a mental health crisis um, you know we had the Burke Street um, uh, the Burke Street incident that led to all these bail reforms that are um, throwing people in in jail. I know so many clinicians who um, they assess risk not on the basis of. And by the way, um, there's meta analysis after meta analysis finding that the risk assessment tools that we have can't actually predict um, risk of suicide or or violence. But we continue with this myth that we can. Yes. Um, but um, so the the ability to to um, to assess actuarial risk in this context, we we uh, the best science we have is clear that we do we cannot do it. Um, but um, the forcing people to have treatment, you know, forcing a hundred people to have treatment for the one out of those hundred, um, and I might even be over exaggerating, who are going to commit um, um, harm that. Um, makes the community feel unsafe. Um, well, it means all 100 are having their human rights breached um, and uh, having you know, undignified treatment and care, very restrictive forms of, of care. Um, and so that's where, I, if I've understood you correctly yeah. and try to apply it in this context, there's a, an intertwining of this um, proposed benefit and the, and the harm, and in particular, the socio-cultural harm um, that we all face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, uh, there's a book by somebody called Cass Sunstein called Laws of Fear. Mm. 
Do you know that you put you shake you? you I, I know Cass, but I don't know. Well, I don't know Cass. Okay, laws of fear. It's 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 about uh, why certain. Okay, so the risk equation is probability and impact, right? And there are certain harms where the risk assessment is all about impact and never about probability. Mm -hmm. So he talks in that about um, about uh, terrorism because it came out not long after 9-11. But there, there are these kind of sentinel gut fears and 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 you know his his answer to this and i think it's um interesting but i don't agree (laughs) (laughs) is that actually you should take the actuarial risk more more seriously so in your case you should that that uh science that research that says you cannot predict and that's been around since about the 1950s, hasn't it? Wasn't there a law in, in New York that all, all the people who were criminally insane had to be released or something? Right? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we put it this way. We've never had evidence that we can predict risk. So, um, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so, so, yeah, so, so pretending that we can is what you do is you have a, the actuarial, which is the risk of violence, and, and, and taking seriously that people are genuinely concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you, your risk assessment is not about the actuarial because it's not possible. So the risk is about political and sociocultural. So risk assessments are framed not by a single and I, I sort of use the language of ideal types, right? So they're always, always blurred in together, right? But, but if, you're, if you're doing a serious analysis of when can we determine that this, uh, that this, uh, this situation can occur, right? Mm, mm. You know, and you, you look at that and you say, okay, well, we can't. Mm, mm. But that's not you know, to use that horrible phrase, the pub test. Mm. Yeah, that won't satisfy a lot of people. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, no, you, no. I mean the, you do have a what then question that, that crops up after you, you know, after you say that, like, what do we do with that yeah. knowledge? Um, yeah. And, and, and for me, that is, that is what we, we, we need to be. Those are the questions that we need to be asking much, much more. Okay, so we know we can't do this. We know, and, and, and in doing that, you know, there are professions that, that, that you know, and livelihoods, you know, that, uh, there are jobs in, in saying we can, right? Yeah. Let's, let's not say it's all about mining jobs. You know, if you're trying to deconstruct a field, there are so many interests to say, yes, we can do this, mm-hmm. right? Um. So if you're trying, but, but it is precisely the right question. And the question is, if we know we cannot do this, now what? Mm. Now what? Mm. And, 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 and that, that can lead, I, I'm sure, you know, those of you with lived experience and your mm. loved ones and what, they would, you would have umpteen 
mm. examples of mm. of of ways to deal with the now what mm. yeah that's right that's right but the the people but but again that goes to your point about and you know i don't want to be overly conspiratorial about it but that goes to the point that you made about some people benefiting from the current approach in terms of being the experts whereas some of the alternatives you know they come from a different history and a different community and you know we we just we know that there's um you know peer uh you know peer support mechanisms crisis housing and um, um, respite services that can assist people in distress Um, but we often hear a reinforcing of the message um, ultimately, this is something for the "quote unquote" experts. Yeah, and uh, and, and and it's it's interpreted clinically. Yeah, yeah. It's a clinical problem. It's not a social problem. Yeah, yeah. Or or even a, an emotional one. You know, like yes, emotion, of course, yeah. the person is in severe distress. There's no question that um, I'm behaving. You know, I think I've I've told you. If you know, yeah, sure. I'm behaving. You know, strangely because of my lived experience. That doesn't necessarily mean a clinical response is the is the no. right one to that. Yeah. No, no, no. And yeah. And 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 you take away somebody's agency and you generate dependence. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean we've got I, I sort of I haven't had involuntary treatment, but I did a lot of work with um, as an advocate for people when they're mm-hmm. on an order. And I mean, there's people who um, I worked with who had been on community treatment orders, so they're getting forcibly treated for decades, decades you know, of their life. And, um, you know, here in, here in Melbourne, here in Melbourne was um, a report released last year finding that the life expectancy of metropolitan clinical consumers in one area was 30 years less than... Um, than the general population and um so i mean that's not all just like medication that's lifestyle decisions and and circumstances too but i mean there are there are some real consequences for having forced treatment um absolutely uh, absolutely 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 because you know treatment is another benefits and harms you know the side effects of treatments uh, you know i I, I have not had lived experience myself, but mm. all of us know people, mm. I would imagine, that do. Mm. And I've seen the side effects. Mm. And they suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and we don't have that discussion. And we, you know, um, we we don't have that discussion nearly enough. We've got a big push towards, and this this again. And periodically gets enmeshed within the socio-cultural risk that you talk about. We often have a discussion about um, early intervention, you know, so um, you got to intervene before the quote-unquote illness manifests. Um, uh, and so that's, you know, dealing with, you know, issues of violence, but then also just the issue, socio-cultural concerns we have, um, which are legitimate about young people, um, their lives mm-hmm. going off, off the rails, but doesn't, doesn't take into account the, the the harms inherent in that treatment in terms of labeling somebody as having a mental health issue what that means for the trajectory of their life um, and um, the consequences of the treatment and whether that means they're going to be stuck on that treatment um, you know for the rest of their life and um, you know the that dependency that you talk about in terms of your relationship to 
to psychiatry or the mental health industry is, is can be become one of dependence, particularly when it starts at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, look, that's, I, I, I think that, um, I mean, I, I'm reminded of, of some of the very, you know, sort of the, the, the crime prevention literature, you know, in other words, how do you, how do you manage uh, the risk in a preemptive way? You know, rather than rather than wheel in the wheel in the police when it's all gone pear shaped. Mm. You know, it comes back to the the mental health aspect, the the, the conditions under which these episodes are more likely, yeah. and and and. You know what is needed. What 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 are the, uh, you know, to use use that language? What are the situational techniques, right? So what are the what are the what are the situational factors that would improve the chances? And and I'm sure they're things like housing, income, <laughs> um, right? What are what are what are some of the social or developmental, right? What are some of the the importance of of human relationships? Right, yeah. you know these 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 are uh, these are what we should be focused on. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you're, and this is this is where I mean, you might I might differ about human rights. Is yeah. is 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 okay? So where does human rights sit in that? Mm sit in that equation around uh, those those things you were talking about earlier or um... yeah in, well in in terms of uh sort of these these what can a human rights approach do to shift the focus from the iniquities of treatment and involuntary treatment to what are the conditions that can prevent mm. the occurrence in the first place. No, I mean it's a, a great question, and um, I, um, I, I mean, you might talk to different uh, people. Might differ. My view is human rights gives us a framework to try to move us somewhere, but uh-huh. it's ultimately a sense of dignity and a good life that you're talking about, which is my yes. kind of foundational concern too. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean. It depends how you frame. Even that's a contested um, concept. How you frame human rights. So I mean, you might be across, like you know, within human rights discourse, you've got the sort of negative approach uh, to human, the negative liberties, and that's kind of in Victoria and Australia. Most of our human rights are framed around you know rights to freedom from incursion from the state. You know, whereas if you look at the International Covenant on Economic, Cultural, and Social Rights, or even the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which is a more recent one, they start to talk about both, and, and in particular the yes. right to housing, the right to adequate yes. healthcare, um, importantly, health right to adequate healthcare without discrimination. Um, uh, and but uh, so in some ways you can um, you can say that it, it starts to get you somewhere. It gives you a conversation yes. around some of those things, but uh, I am. Um, Ultimately, you you will still have challenges and contests where some human rights sit in contest with one another, you know, and so mm-hmm. there's a balancing of human rights. I mean, the classic one that we have in 
in society at the moment is um you know the right to free um free ex- or freedom of religion and the right to be free from discrimination so there's ralph allow kind of case yeah. of, you know um yeah. so human rights are sort of an inco you know mutually incoherent yeah. set of values that um that we often have to balance and i suppose that's a real contest isn't it um which again yeah. goes back to your point that it's not a technical process it's a no, sociocultural no. political one yeah yeah and look i i think that's you know uh for me gets to what i think how do we have difficult conversations so you know when we are when we come up against incommensurables so you know in in the psychiatric space the the rights of the person potentially being subjected to treatment versus the rights of the community to to be safe now what let's have a conversation mm. that does not activism often or populism often chooses yep right and 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 that can be very necessary and very effective it's 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 actually where how a lot of change both progressive and regressive occurs right so i'm not discounting that yeah yeah at all but we have lost this capacity or perhaps we never had it i don't know to say okay both of these have value so now how mm. now what do we do yeah uh, that kind of dialectic you know of those yeah. things coming together yeah. and, and producing something new yeah well, I mean, I think that we've, um, I, I've loved this conversation. I think uh, I, I have a sense that every other person who's done an interview with me on this podcast would benefit of benefit from the framing that you've given around, you know, the, the interview coming out. I'm, we're recording in October and the interview coming out um, tomorrow is going to be on the family law system, contestation between men's rights, you know, men's rights movements and, um, you know, um, women's rights are feminist or just non-men's rights um, movements. And um, yeah. we've got so many other examples. And, and the way you frame that, I think, gives us a, a really interesting um, lens to understand these issues. So people have listened to us um, uh, I think very interestingly, Yakon, um, uh, today. I mean, what what is one thing you want a listener to to go away and, and do after listening to us today? Uh, I'm not very good at telling people what to do. Um, <laughs> you, should, uh, you should work in mental health. We need more of you. I, I, I look, I... Um, I would, you know, and I'm always, I'm, I'm terrible at this because whenever I, I, I have a desire to preach, yeah. I say, you hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I'm, I, was, I was raised a white male, so that, that thought doesn't come through my head apparently. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, so I keep going, keep going. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, look, I... I, I do think wherever we are, and this includes me, 
is thinking through where best can I use my knowledge and my energies, right? So, um, so it, it rather than than react, think, listen. If you, if you, if particularly if somebody talking to you seems uh, seems to be saying things that you you don't really that they're uncomfortable. Um, there's a wonderful um, there's wonderful work done by uh, Julie Evans and others in the indigenous space talking about the middle ground. Can we find the middle ground? And, mm -hmm. and by the middle ground, I don't mean a kind of a watered down version of left and right, you know, central pot. That's not what I'm talking, not, not what they're talking about, but making the most of that moment of encounter. Mm. So, so we've been talking a lot about okay so there are there are these incommensurables or or seeming incommensurables religious rights freedom from non-discrimination but and and involuntary treatment community safety right there are spaces those the middle ground where people people have the capacity to think differently and to do differently and behave differently, and and I would I guess I would 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 for myself and for everybody. Okay, so what is this? What is the middle ground that I can inhabit to just say, okay, can we do this differently? I think that's a beautiful message to end on. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Fiona. <laughs>